the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Thessalonians. be deceived by the doctrine of universalism. It is a false doctrine, and unfortunately it's even being circulated among some, quote, Christian camps. Kind of this belief that everything's just going to, in the end, be all good, and there can't really be hell, and so everybody's going to ultimately be rescued. And listen, take it from what Scripture says. Don't believe me. Read your Bibles. And Paul comes along right here, and he says, listen, there's such a thing as everlasting destruction. Pastor Gary has a strong warning for you in his message today. Don't get caught up in the false religions that are out there. They may seem harmless, and they may even use passages of the Bible to support their claims. But if you dig deeply into the motives and practices, you'll find they simply don't line up with God's Word. And in fact, they lead people away from the truth of Jesus. Be aware that there are false religions still today and be ready to speak truth instead and learn the truth. Read your Bible. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. So many people who don't know God or don't profess to follow God seem to have it so well. Why is it I don't? So this is what he writes in Psalm 73. He says, surely God is good to Israel. He says, I know it intellectually to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Now, this isn't, this isn't entirely true. I mean, sometimes when we're going through difficulties, you know, our perspective is often blurred. So we think everybody else has it well except ourselves. This is where Asaph is struggling. He goes, you know, they have no struggles. The wicked, they just, they're doing fine. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They go around, you know, all proud. They clothe themselves with violence. And from their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? You know, they're going around scoffing God, mocking God. They talk about heaven, but they're all about the earth, and they mock God. And so Asaph says, this is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. And he says, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. 
In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. Asaph's questioning. He says, maybe my relationship with God is all in vain. You know, I've been putting my hope in him for nothing. Because I look and I see all the people who are wicked around me, and they seem to have it so well. And so he questions God, and he says, if I had said, I will speak thus. If I have talked in a certain way, I would have betrayed your children. He realizes, if I had said what I'm thinking, it wouldn't have been a good witness. So please, just as a word of encouragement, if you're going through a difficult time, it's okay to question God because God's a big God. He can take our questions, okay? All through the Psalms, David and other psalmists are questioning God like Asaph and just like, you know, why is this happening? Why is that happening? It's okay. God's a big God. He can take your questions. But please just don't talk out loud around other people because you you don't want to blow your witness and you don't want to disparage the character of God while you're sorting out your theology of why things are happening in your life. So Asaph realizes that. He says, if I had said thus, he says, I would have betrayed your children, Lord. He says, but when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. I, I, I was just burdened by all this. Why God? And then the next verse, this is Psalm 73, 17. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. You know what he comes to the conclusion of? He realizes, he says, okay, when I'm looking at all of the stuff in my life and I'm comparing my life to other people don't even profess to know God, and this is confusing to me, it's perplexing, it's burdensome, why God has all this happened to me and doesn't seem to happen to other people? Okay, he says, but then when I stepped into the house of God, I got this heavenly eternal perspective and i realized that okay god is just and he's going to take care of the wicked and he's going to honor the righteous because of our relationship with him so i'm just going to hold on till the end and god's going to sort it all out you know friends listen that's not a cop-out to just say lord i'm some you're going to find sometimes you might be at a place like this in your life if you're not now lord i'm just going to hold on for dear life and i'm going to trust you're going to sort it all out in the end that's okay to say that that's where asaph was that's where he came to the conclusion you've given me the right perspective when i come into the house of god as i just start to worship you lord then the right perspective and this eternal perspective comes into my heart and i begin to realize it's all worth it and it's all going to be worth it one day i'm just going to hold on and stay true to you and trust that you're going to sort it all out now i share that verse or that passage from psalm 73 because that's basically the conclusion that paul's going to come to here with the thessalonians back here in second thessalonians chapter one because you'll notice now in verse five he says all All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. He says, God's going to sort this all out. You're going to be counted worthy. It's all going to be okay because of what Christ has done for you. So your suffering in the long run is going to all be okay because you're going to see, look at verse 6, that God is just. You know, right now, you may not be able to make sense of everything, but hold on, because God is just. Look at the rest of verse 6. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. Okay? God is just. Underline that in your Bibles. It's the only place in all the Bible that it says it in, in that order, God is just. Now, the Bible, all throughout the Bible, talks about how God is just, but this is the only place where those three words are together. God is just. And so Paul is saying, because God is just, the sufferings that you're experiencing now, God is going to balance the scales of injustice in his timing 
because he is just and he's going to do two things. He says he's going to pay back trouble to those who have caused you trouble. Okay? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You don't try to pay back trouble to people who cause you trouble. You let God deal with them. He's going to deal with those who have caused you trouble. And he says, and he's going to give you relief. King James uses the word rest. He's going to give you rest or relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. Now listen, he's not going to say it's going to happen necessarily today or tomorrow. But he says, here's the eternal perspective. This will happen. This is the rest of verse 7. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. And he will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So notice, when will all this happen? When will Jesus balance the scales of injustice and make everything right and fair and just? Well, it says this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Jump over to Revelation chapter 19 in the backs of your Bibles. Revelation chapter 19, because this is the event that he's talking about. Now, while you're turning in your Bibles there to Revelation 19, he's talking here about the second coming of Christ when Jesus comes at the end of the tribulation. So remember, there's two aspects to the second coming of Christ. The first is when Jesus raptures the church, when he takes Christians from the earth, snatches them up to meet the Lord in the air, in the clouds. He doesn't come all the way to the earth. He's in the clouds. That's First Thessalonians chapter 4, trumpet call of God sounds, dead in Christ rise. We who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So that's the rapture of the church when he's taken. But when does Jesus come with blazing fire? Because that's what, that's what Paul's talking about now in this passage. Blazing fire is coming here at the end of tribulation when Jesus comes to the earth and then brings victory to the battle of Armageddon, which is the culmination of the seven years of tribulation. So that's what we read here in Revelation chapter 19. So look at your Bibles now, and this is Revelation 19, verse 11 to 16. John says here, And I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Who is that? That's Jesus. He's coming on a white horse. So you animal lovers, there is a horse in heaven at least. I don't know about your dogs, certainly not your cat, but anyway. (laughs) But he's coming on a white horse. I don't know why I do that because I get emails every single time I say that. (laughs) And with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like, here you go, blazing fire. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Now, I want to compare this with what we just read in 2 Thessalonians, because it tells us two different things. In 2 Thessalonians, if you're able to flip back and forth, if not, just listen He said, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. So Paul tells us that when Christ comes again to the earth, he's coming with his powerful angels. 
But here in Revelation 19, when he talks about the armies of heaven following him riding on white horses, that is not a reference to angels. That is a reference to the saints, to Christians who come. How do we know? Because of how they're dressed. They're, they're riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And when you go up just a few verses, go back up to verse 6. Same chapter, Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like the loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Who's the bride? The church, believers. Fine linen, bright and clean was given her to wear. So the church is coming, literally dressed in fine linen, bright and clean, given her to wear. Now go back down to what we were reading there in verse 14. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. So this is the church. These are the saints who have been kept in heaven during the tribulation period, will also now return with Christ when he comes to the earth, eyes blazing like fire. And so when you compare Revelation, well, let me finish uh, reading this here in Revelation uh, 19, uh, 15. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, the reference to Isaiah 63, talking about how God's enemies are going to be crushed under his feet like grapes in a winepress, okay? And it says, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So you can go back now to 2 Thessalonians 1, and when you combine both passages, it's not a contradiction. It's saying to us that when Christ returns, eyes blazing, blazing fire, Paul says here in 2 Thessalonians 1 that the army of angels comes with him, and John tells us in Revelation 19, and so do the saints. So you've got to have this picture here of here Christ comes, his second coming back to the earth, settles the battle of Armageddon, establishes his kingdom on the earth for a thousand years. But when he comes, he's coming with all the angels and all the saints in heaven. And he's waging war against the enemies of God and the enemies of, of Israel in this battle of Armageddon. And then Christ will rule and reign from the earth, from Jerusalem for the thousand years. And then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth after the judgment of the great white throne among those who have uh, gone through the millennial kingdom, not the saints who have already, you know, been made righteous and we come with the Lord and, and our eternity has been sealed in him. That's a different judgment for another group of people. But now back here in second Thessalonians one. So this, this is what's going to happen. Now, verse eight looks, looks a little difficult, right? Verse eight, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the literal Greek grammar it isn't just people who, oh, I didn't know. People who didn't know, and oh, I didn't, I didn't know to obey. The literal Greek grammar reads willful ignorance and willful disobedience. Willful ignorance and willful disobedience. And if you'll just glance again to chapter 2 so that we can see even more clearly that they are deserving of punishment and God is just in punishing them. If you look in chapter two, verse 10, it says, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing, they perish. This is the second part of verse 10, chapter two. They perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Okay. They refuse to love the truth and so be saved. God is a just God. 
He is just in his judgments. And that's why he reminds us here that God is just. And he will deal with every wicked person and every evil person. And he will bring rest or relief. He will rescue those who know him. Now, anybody can come to know him. But if you refuse to be saved, you refuse the truth, you refuse to acknowledge Christ, there is no remedy for you. You understand? There is no other way to be saved. Okay? I know that that's a really exclusive statement. All right? But truth, by definition, is exclusive. Okay? And so, listen, for for people who wrestle with well, I can't all paths lead to God. And, you know, that's the problem I have with you Christians when you start talking about the exclusive claims of Christ, that there's only one way and Jesus is the only way. You know, I, and I've said this statement before. Years ago, listen, this is how I settled it. And you're going to have to come to a place in your own life where, where you settle things for yourself. What I settled years ago was not that there was only one way, but that God had made a way for me. And that way is Jesus. So... His punishment is just, but he's going he's, he's gonna to punish those who did not know willful, willful ignorance and did not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Willful disobedience. And he says in verse 9, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you, those who will marvel, because we believe. This includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. Now, please notice here, this is an important doctrine of theology, verse 9. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. Some people believe that hell is just annihilation, that you just are... um, you're exterminated if you end up in hell. That just simply isn't true. The Bible describes hell as unquenchable fire. Um, the Bible describes hell as eternal punishment. It is a place of eternal suffering. Now, again, for those of you who struggle with, this doesn't seem consistent with the loving God. Write down Matthew 25, verse 41. In Matthew 25, verse 41, Jesus makes it clear that hell was originally intended for the devil and the angels who rebelled with Satan. The Bible says that God wants none to perish, but all to be saved. The heart of God, Ezekiel tells us that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. So it's not like God is, you know, in heaven, just, you know, like some kind of a twisted you know, dictator who just loves to see people punished and suffer and die. He is a God of mercy and love who sends his son to rescue as many as want to be saved by trusting him as Lord and Savior. He has no desire and no wish for the wicked to perish. He wants all to be saved. So Matthew 25, 41 reminds us that hell was originally intended and designed for the devil who rebelled against God and for the fallen angels who rebelled against God with Satan. Okay, so that's important to understand. But this is everlasting destruction. It's not annihilation. And you'd be surprised the number of people, particularly liberal theologians, who teach that it's just annihilation. And even worse, you have people who have kind of become outcasts from the evangelical community, but you have people 
who actually believe in the doctrine of universalism. Now, universalism basically teaches that, that God intends to restore all things to their original state of purity through Jesus Christ so that in the end, everyone will be brought into a right relationship with God. There are some who call themselves Christians who espouse the doctrine of universalism who believe that basically in the end, nobody's going to really go to hell, everybody's going to get saved, and Jesus is going to rescue everybody, and God's going to just restore everything to its ultimate perfection how it originally was. And you have a guy, for example, who used to pastor a megachurch in Michigan. Uh, he left there in 2012, but in 2011, he came out with a book called Love Wins. And, you know, he was you know, pastoring this mega church in Michigan. And, and it was, you know, he was a part of the evangelical community preaching the gospel. And then he just took a left turn. And in his mind, his theology gravitated toward universalism. And, and he began to question even the existence of hell. Time magazine did a feature cover story on this guy and the book that he wrote. And the, the title article is, what if there's no hell? And the subtitle says, a popular pastor's best-selling book has stirred fierce debate about sin, salvation, and judgment. He has embraced universalism. Now, he's, you know, last I read, he was living in California, literally surfing, and he had teamed up with Oprah, and I don't know what's going on there, you know. Um, but anyway, talk about universalism, um, the gospel according to Oprah. But anyhow, that's a whole other uh, Bible study. But I bring this up because don't be deceived by the doctrine of universalism. It is a false doctrine, and unfortunately, it's even being circulated among some, quote, Christian camps, kind of this belief that everything's just going to, in the end, be all good, and there can't really be hell, and so everybody's going to ultimately be rescued. And listen, take it from what Scripture says. Don't believe me. Read your Bibles. And Paul comes along right here and he says, listen, there's such a thing as everlasting destruction. And you know, one of the worst things about the reality of hell, sometimes we just focus on the, the torment part of it. But notice in the rest of verse nine and shut out from the presence of the Lord. We have no idea what that would feel like because presently God is ever present. He's omnipresent. He's always around us. But in hell, there will be the complete absence of God, the, the complete removal of his presence. And we can't even fathom what that will be like, because presently, whether a person even has a relationship with God or not, they are the indirect, or we as believers, the direct beneficiaries of the presence of God, that he is at least around us, if not as believers in us and with us. He is at least around us and in the world and his presence still among us. But, but in this place of torment, one of the worst and unimaginable things will be to be completely and totally separated from the presence of God. And he goes on to say, and the majesty of his power. It's, it's unimaginable what that will feel like to be so completely separated from the presence of God. And he ends this chapter by saying in verse 11, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power, and I, and I love this as a promise that it's not all up to us. Look at what God does with us and for us and in us. And that by his power, he may fulfill every good purpose of yours. 
Isn't that encouraging? To rem- That's Philippians 1.6, isn't it? You know, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is at work to help us. It's not just, well, you got saved, good luck getting to heaven. And a wink from God. It is, I'm going to come alongside of you, and by my spirit, I'm going to help you to accomplish every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. So it includes our responsibility in there, but God is fulfilling his good purpose prompted by our faith. And he says, we pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection. As Pastor Gary Hammer teaches through the book of 2 Thessalonians. If you're interested in hearing this message again or want to hear more like it, you can visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app so you can have these teachings with you on the go. This is a great way to keep up with Pastor Gary's studies and to have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app by going to the Teachings tab under the menu at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Once you're there, you can also learn more about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be so happy to meet you and to get to know your story. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We trust you've been encouraged by today's teaching from the book of 2 Thessalonians, and we encourage you to read over today's passage on your own. Once you do that, plan to join us for the next edition, where Pastor Gary will continue teaching from this New Testament letter here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.